Thank you for listening to this audio recording from the pastoral team at Church of the Redeemer, an Anglican church in Greensboro, North Carolina. If you'd like to know more about Church of the Redeemer, its ministry, or its mission, then visit us online at RedeemerGSO.org. Good morning, Church of the Redeemer. Welcome to my apartment. I'm sitting in our kitchen in front of an Ethiopian portrayal of the Lord's Supper, while the rest of my family is still asleep and therefore quiet. This is the first Sunday after Epiphany, so we're going to be continuing our series and exploring together uh, the ways that God has revealed himself to, and his plan of salvation to his people. Uh, if you have a copy of this uh, sermon guide that, that Jason and Rachel Yao made, uh, I hope you'll follow along. Uh, if you can look it up in your email, I, I hope you'll have some fruitful conversations with the people you're stuck inside with this morning as we look together at Exodus 3. So last week, I got the chance to do something I love, something that always gets me excited. I got to light something on fire. So a few of us got together some Christmas trees among all the gravel back behind the grove. And if you've never seen a Christmas tree go up in flames, I have a video of it right now. So this is why it's important to water our Christmas trees, and it's also why it's important to be careful when we make fires in dry weather. But I hope it also helps us understand why Moses turned aside when he was on the clock with the flock. See, in the region of Horeb, a shrub like the one Moses saw would be extremely dry and go out in just a few seconds. But instead, it's explosively hot, and it burns on and on and on. So you don't have to be a pyro like me or like Carter Lewis to take a closer look at something like that. Let's read this part again, uh, if if we haven't uh, read it already. It's Exodus 3, 1 to 15. Maybe go ahead and read that if, if you haven't read it yet. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father in law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight, why the bush does not burn up. But as amazing as a big bonfire is, trust me, I'm a pyro, I love fire. As amazing as a big bonfire is, that's actually the least interesting part of this story. Did you remember that noise that those Christmas trees were making as they burned up? That explosive flame that was catching so fast? Moses has just found a roaring fire that looks like it's never going to go out. And that's the least interesting part of this story. The fire got Moses' attention, but the next moments, they would change his life forever. Let's keep reading verse 4. When the Lord saw that he had gone to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals for the place where you are standing is holy ground. Then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. 
This is the first place in the Bible when the writer states in a clear way that God is holy. And remember that the primary meaning we should have in our minds when we read the word holy in the Bible is set apart. Set apart. So when he shows up somewhere, that place is holy. That place is different. It's set apart. Moses is not hiding his face because the fire's hot, although as all of us discovered, the fire does get quite hot. Uh, Moses is, is hiding his face because he knows he's in the presence of a being who is completely set apart from him, a being who is completely other. This is a God who is not subject to time, but instead rules time. I am the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. That'd be like someone coming up to you and saying he's best friends with one of the pilgrims from the Mayflower. Before Moses says another word, God continues. Let's look at verse 7. The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land into a good and spacious land a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now go, I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And God said, I will be with you, and this will be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. So there's a lot there that we'll unpack in this conversation, uh, but for now we're going to focus on two things. One, the name of God, and two, his concern for justice. The name of God, his concern for justice. So for the name of God, let's look. At, go ahead and look on at verse 13. Moses said to God, suppose I go to the Israelites and say, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, what is his name? Then what shall I tell them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say to the Israelites, the God, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, the name you shall call me from generation to generation. So friends, I think this is going to be one of those verses in scripture that we're reciting to each other uh, as we enjoy God for all eternity. There is an eternity of weight, meaning, and beauty behind these facts. One, our God reveals his personal name to his people. And two, his personal name is I am. We're going to be unpacking that forever, and it's going to be a beautiful and joyful journey. For the sake of good English grammar, let's refer to God as he is for a moment and consider what that means. When life is good and you're happy, he is. When life is hard and you're struggling to make it through the day, he is. When you're enjoying the company of friends and family, he is. 
When you are lonely and hungry for love, he is. Untouched by all the changes and chances of this world, all the trends and shifts in our culture, all the ice storms outside, our God simply is. Whether we believe in him, trust in him, or not, he is. Now this claim is going to have big ramifications, a big impact for the nation of Israel. See, at this point in history, they've been slaves to the Egyptians for 400 years. The names of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob would have sounded familiar as as family history, but the gods of Egypt would have been a much more visible reality in their daily lives. The followers of, of those Egyptian gods were daily exerting their power and influence over them with hard labor and, and, and genocide. So God called Moses to do something dramatic. God sent Moses to Egypt to show the Egyptians and the Israelites who he is. See, another aspect of God's name being I am is that it implies there are gods who are not. Part of God's great rescue plan is to show that the gods of Egypt are nothing compared to him. He'll send 10 plagues to show that he's the one in control of nature and all creation, not the gods of Egypt. And he'll bring his people out of the slavery to show that whether it's been four months or 400 years, he is a God who keeps his promises for all time. He will bring his people out of Egypt and bring them to the land that he promised to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He'll do it with marvels to show he's more powerful than the gods of Egypt. He'll protect his people from death with the sign of lamb's blood and the event known as Passover. The night that God, the great I am, took the lives of Egypt's firstborn because Egypt was holding his children captive. So let's look one more time at verse 7 and take a moment just to marvel together. The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. This is the God who is, who's untouched by time, untouched by the chances and changes of the world, the great I am. And yet he also is affected by the plight of his people. He cares for the suffering. He's concerned. He's a good father who cares for his children. Our God is a God who sees every pain, who knows every hurt we experience, and he cares more deeply than we could ever imagine. And this is why, by the way, he gave so many laws for his people that aimed to eliminate slavery and lifelong debts. It's all throughout the book of Leviticus. This is why serious Christians throughout history from the Apostle Paul to William Wilberforce, have opposed slavery. And this is why serious Christians throughout history have also opposed economic oppression. Think about Acts chapter 2, when the believers shared all things in common. That's one of our uh, key core verses for our church. In God's economy, wealth is not meant to be gained through exploitation or through to the deficit of others. In God's economy, Uh, Wealth is meant to be used for others. Think of the civil rights movement when Martin Luther King Jr. and many other pastors and Christian leaders fought. They gave their time, their money, their energy, their lives. They fought and they're still fighting for an equal space at the table for all people, 
in this country, African Americans, all people. So when we see the fruit of, of oppression all around us, the devastation of slavery and economic oppression, genocide, violence, which are as daily realities to us as the oppression of the Egyptians was to the Israelites, Exodus chapter 3 assures us that God sees, he hears, and he is concerned. He is King David in Psalm 56 says, God has kept a record of all his tears and all his sleepless nights. So when you're miserable, when you feel helpless, when you lose sleep at night, God sees, God hears, he's concerned, he is. And he's promised in scripture that there will come a day when he returns and makes all things right. And when he wipes away every tear from our eyes. You see this, this rescue plan that God begins with this conversation with Moses through the burning bush. It doesn't end when the Israelites leave uh, Egypt. It doesn't even end uh, when they get to the promised land. No, if you continue reading the story of Israel, our family history, uh, you'll see that just because they've been rescued from, from uh, slavery and oppression, they're not completely free from strife. Their lives don't become perfect. Israel, even as a free nation, is under the power that holds all of humankind under oppression. Sin, death, and Satan, God's enemy from the beginning of our world. As evil and as destructive as we see slavery and economic oppression are, Let's not miss the gravity of Jesus' words when he says in John 8, 34, everyone who sins is a slave of sin. Everyone, rich, poor, all nationalities, all backgrounds, all ethnicities, everyone who sins is a slave of sin. Apart from a rescuer, we are under the power of sin and therefore subject to evil, death, the devil. But God's rescue of the Israelites from Egypt points forward to his rescue of all humankind from these oppressors. Just as God proved that the gods of Egypt were powerless and showed that he had authority over all creation as its maker, so he came to earth as a man and healed the sick and drove out demons to show that he is king and that the powers of Satan are nothing compared to him. Just as he gave the sign of lamb's blood to protect the firstborn of Israel from death, and just as he took the lives of the Egyptian firstborn, so he gave the life of his own son, Jesus, to die a sacrificial death on the cross to save us from the power of sin, of death. And to show that death was truly defeated, Jesus rose again three days later. That's God's rescue plan. So this morning, if you're beaten down, if you're oppressed spiritually, emotionally, economically, God can and will deliver you. Call one of us on staff, email our prayer team. We'd love to help you find freedom from what has you in chains. If you're trapped in sin and want to get out, confess and receive God's forgiveness. Talk to us about how we can walk with you as you pursue purity of life in the power of the Holy Spirit.
And for those of us who have been delivered from these slave masters, I urge you, excuse me, live into the freedom you have in Christ. You've been delivered from sin. Don't go back to it. Don't be fooled into thinking that you can get what you want from living by Satan's rules. Don't believe the lie that you can stay in control of sin if you just indulge a little here or there. Everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Jesus is our king now, and he is worth following. He went to hell and back for the sake of love, and he wants to give you life to the full. No matter what happens, he's the great I am. Have a blessed Sunday, stay safe, and we'll see you next week.